You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Swing and a drive. Right field and deep. Back goes Aquino. It's got a chance. Gone. Get out the tape measure, long gone. Fly the W! Cubs fans, it's time to fly the W with Dustin Rhodes and Paul Crawley Jean. Welcome in, Season 1, Episode 4 of Fly the W Podcast. This one we are calling Young Cubs Pitching Shines. Versus the Cardinals, I'm Dustin Rhodes, executive producer of the Mully and Haw Show on 670 The Score, the official radio home of Cubs baseball. And as always, I am joined by my co-host, Paul Crawley Jean. Hey, Paul, hope you had a fantastic uh, last couple of days since we uh, last spoke. We've had five games since we uh, recorded a podcast between the Cardinals and the Cubs. And as always, that series delivered. It, like we said, toss out the toss out the standings. It's going to be a dogfight, and it was. I had a lot of fun. Uh, I watched 18 innings of baseball. I think it was 19 innings of baseball, but luckily I can only remember about uh, 14 of them. The last five I couldn't remember, but it's okay. They weren't that great for the Cubs. <laughs> oh man, that's classic. So tell us. So you were on a rooftop for one game, and the out, and then in the bleachers for a second game. Yeah, we have our good friend Aiden at uh, Wrigley View Rooftops. We were up there. Uh, we had the grand opening of the Club 400 Chicago branch. And uh, and then I was in the bleachers for game two of the doubleheader. So it was a lot of fun. And when I look at this weekend, I know I said I wanted three wins. I think I went on record saying that. And and, and I, I was ready. I had the audio ready, all queued up because it looked like it was going to happen. And it didn't in the last second. But you know, there were four pitchers that we saw, and three of them are really, truly the future. When you think about Keegan Thompson, uh, I mean, four of them, Keegan Thompson, you had Matt Swarmer, you had Caleb Killian, and you had Justin Steele. So it gave you a glimpse, and, and, and in my opinion, a positive glimpse of hopefully where we're going in the future. Absolutely right. Now, and the most the coolest thing of the weekend was that they got to fly the W twice. So I was surprisingly okay with that. But then just like in the Sox series, I wanted more last night when they lost the fifth game and the series in extra innings. I wanted, I wanted more. I was getting, I was getting to be the fandom in me was just raging. I was so upset and we'll, we'll get to that game in a minute, but the best part, of the whole thing was Killian because that is one of the pieces that the Cubs got back as they traded away their core. And it's the first guy that we got to see at Wrigley in a big moment. I mean, Crawley, it wasn't just Wrigley. 
It was Wrigley. It was Cardinals. It was Saturday. And it was under the lights. And, oh, by the way, it was on national TV. And the kid came out, and he was absolutely fantastic for the first time out. Yeah, out of all the players, and we're going to have an interview with Patrick Mooney a little bit later on, but he was the most major league ready of all the players. Obviously, you know, Cody Hewer and uh, and uh, when you Nick Magical were major league ready, but for the young prospects, Keegan Thompson is going to the first of a wave that we're going to see, and he did not disappoint at all. No, he was he was really really good. He had a nice nice night. Um, the first inning, struck a couple guys out. Um, was able to get Goldschmidt out, who just absolutely was killing the Cubs most of the weekend. But yeah, great, great first outing. Why don't we why don't we take this one like we normally do, Cry? Let's go, let's go game by game. We go back to Thursday, game one. Cubs beat the Cardinals seven to five, the first fly the W of the uh of the of the weekend series. Tell us how uh tell us how you saw it, tell us how you broke it down. It was, that one was a fun one. And, and I laughed because we talked in episode three about the baskets and we had mm-hmm. two basket home runs mm-hmm. that ended up happening. Contreras got one at the first inning, I want to say. And then you had, uh, and then you had the Cardinals with, uh, with Harrison Bader hitting one in the ninth inning. So, you know, the key there is Keegan Thompson and this guy was not, you know, supposed to be a starter, but now he has, you know, been building up, every start trying to get a little bit further, trying to push the innings. And that's what he did. He went a uh, career high five and a third innings. And he was uh, into the sixth inning. He had 89 pitches were, which were high. Um, he was charged with three runs, but one of them came scored after his departure. So it was uh, somebody he left on base, but he just really, there's just a confidence about him. And, and I don't know about you, Dustin, but whenever it's a Keegan Thompson start, I feel confident. I feel like that's where I start to mark a W down saying I pencil that in, in my book. Well, right. And the other thing about a Keegan Thompson start, and this is what I think the Cubs are hoping for. And I know all the fans and our subscribers and listeners are hoping for like Keegan Thompson right now is a guy that I want to make sure I'm in front of the television or I've got the radio or I've got the Odyssey app. And I am listening to that game because I want to hear how he does. You're looking forward to him every fifth day. And I think that's important. He's getting these, he's getting these reps. He's getting these big situations, both at Wrigley and on the road. And that can only pay dividends down the road. Yeah. And, 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 and it's, 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 he has an interesting repertoire and, and, and he just, it doesn't seem like anything shakes him or phases him on the mound. He just has a confidence about him that I really, really like. And speaking of a guy with confidence, again, our guy, Kristen, Kristen Morell, right. He, Kept that hitting streak going. He's on base again. Contreras, red hot. Schwindel with a homer, Hap with a homer. So the guys that we've been depending on have kept it going. And then we move into Friday afternoon. Wrigley Field, Cubs Cardinals, and we've got Marcus Stroman, friend of the program, on the bump and uh, didn't exactly have his best day. And earlier that morning on the Mullion Haw show, Mark Grody was filling in for Haw. And I had mentioned that I had – this feeling that Stroman was going to have that Cubs moment. Like he had almost gotten there against the Sox on the Sunday and that he was going to have that moment where after he walked off the mound at Wrigley, I was going to say, now here we are. Marcus Stroman is officially a Cub. And Grody's like, "Eh, I don't know. I see this game like 11 to three. I'm like, man, you are disrespecting Marcus (laughs) Stroman. And you know what? Marcus Stroman completely let me down. 
Yeah, it was not his best start, and he talked, you know, he's talked about it before that he really was affected by the lockout, but it definitely, uh, we, you and I talked in the last episode, I said there's two guys that really hit the heck out of Marcus Stroman, and they weren't smart, you know, one of them was Paul Goldschmidt, but hey, he hits everybody, but the other one was Dickerson, and, and, and you know, it, it was weird because when, when Stroman comes out, he looks like he's got them. It looks like a continuation of the White Sox start for the first couple innings. You know, and then all of a sudden the third inning comes and then the wheels completely fall off in the fourth inning. So he gave up three in the third and five in the fourth. That's eight runs right there. I mean, now you're putting your your offense in a real hole. So that was not great. No, and the Cubs, the the, the part other part about it is the Cubs got out to a three nothing lead. So right. they had the lead and he couldn't hold on to it. And I think it was, if not one of like the worst performance he's had, 10 hits, nine runs three home runs in that game. So that was really, really disappointing. Um, Jason Hayward played in that game. We were also asking uh, on the radio, how, how many at bats, how many games would Hayward start? And I figured for sure he would definitely get a start in one of the two games on Saturday, but I was really curious to see. And he, he played a little bit more this weekend than I would have liked. I will tell you, it was just at this point, you have you can you can DFA him if you want, or you can keep him. But if you're going to keep him on the team, I don't want to see him in there unless he's a defensive replacement or unless he has some really incredible numbers. And I know this sounds bad, but you you had you were down what nine to four, which is bad, right? You know you don't want to be down nine to four, but all of a sudden the Cubs rally in the fifth inning, and they have the bases loaded, and all of a sudden uh, you you have Hayward come up. Wisdom struck out right before Hayward. But he just flies out into a double play ball. He he flied out, and then it, I think Donovan caught it, and he threw out Ortega at home. So it was like, why are you running in this situation? It was a stupid play. And, and, and again, you know, Hayward has his big opportunity, and he barely gets it past the infield. And, and all of a sudden, once that happened, the game's over. You know what I mean? You had a chance. You know, you get a big hit there. You get a double. You clear the bases. That, that completely then all of a sudden changes the situation. And instead, it just killed the inning, killed the momentum. You could hear the air go out of Wrigley Field, and that's that for game yeah, two. That's that. You're right. That That is that. Now, the other strange thing that happened in that game, before we move on, and, and Frank Schwindel was kind of a, a big piece this whole weekend, but Schwindel actually pitched in that game. <laughs> and he allowed, he allowed two home runs. So there was a crazy stat out there about he was like the first guy since like the 30s that in a in a series had hit two home runs and allowed two home runs in the same series. And I guess maybe I just I just have never been a fan of the position players pitching unless it's something they always wanted to do like a, a week or two ago. We saw that with the Cardinals where we saw Pujols pitch and we saw Molina pitch and it was almost kind of joking because both those guys might be wrapping their career up, but I'm just never a fan. I just think that's the kind of stuff that that's the ass grab that I just, I just cannot get on board with. And, and one thing it did prove is that the Cardinals hate fun. They are like the bad guy that pops the balloon of the little kid. You, you sit there, Schwindel, he, he, he gets, he retires the two first batters. And all I keep thinking is, Oh my God, if he retires this side, you know, he's going to do the double thumbs up and he's going to be all pumped up. And instead they hit back to back jacks off him. So 
you know, boo to the Cardinals for ruining the fun. And Jason Hayward left seven men on base that game. I mean, just cannot happen. I, I, yeah. I can't do it anymore. Yeah, that 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 then will leave a mark. All right. So now at this point, they've played two games. It's been a split. Game three was earlier on Saturday, Wrigley Field again, and we were going to see Swarmer make his second start, and he uh, he delivered, right, Crowley? Absolutely. When you talk about Swarmer, he went six innings in his first start. So against Milwaukee, let's see what the kid does in his second start. And you could, again, six innings pitch. He gave up two hits, one run, two walks, and five Ks. He gave up one home run, but that was his first major league win. But he has been a truly pleasant surprise because remember, we want when, when they called Swarmer up, we wanted Killian to get that start. And we we're like, oh, I was a Swarmer. What? Oh, well. And, and he kept the Cubs in it against the Brewers. They didn't lose because of him. And then he comes out and he dominates the Cardinals, you know, two hits through six innings. I'll take that's that against fantastic. this Cardinals. I mean, that's a, that's a good lineup. They, there was no kind of Sunday lineup or, you know, we're going to kind of genuflect and get out of the way in game one, and then we're going to come back to game two. I mean, they're good players were playing in that game. They were, they were absolutely positively there to win that one. And again, you know, two walks, five Ks, you'll take that all the time. Two walks, five Ks against that lineup. That was, that was absolutely fantastic. You know, Schwindel had the Homer. He had that funny over the shoulder catch. That was really good. Morell got on base yet again. So the vibes and the good times were rolling and then came game four, second half of the doubleheader. And there it was, Caleb Killian's debut out at Wrigley Field, and no other than Crawley was there for that game. Now, also, Crawley, make sure, tell everybody about how you decided which game to attend and buy tickets to and hang out in Wrigleyville, how you decided all that. Yeah, um, my friend Stuart McVicker was open up Club 400 in Chicago, which is a nice, fun, speakeasy that we're going to have to kind of hang out before the game. And so I knew I was going down there. And when I got wind that Killian was going to make the start, I wasn't sure if it was going to be game one or game two. And the second Ross made that announcement, I instantly bought bleacher tickets for game two because I, I did not want to miss that debut. So game one, like I said, we were at the Lakeview. Uh, we were on the Windy City rooftops right up there, right off the left field foul pole. And we had an absolute blast up there. And then game two, we were in the bleachers. And I, I've gone to a lot of debuts. I've been to KB's debut. I've been to all the home, like every time the home debuts happened, I've been there. Like obviously Javi started on the road. They like to start guys on the road, but I always like to be at their first game at Wrigley. And there's just a buzz that electrifies the crowd. You know, like, is this kid got what it takes? Is he, you know, is he, is he, is he the real deal? So it was so exciting to just kind of feel that again. It's been a while since I've, you know, you know, you've had this exciting debut call up. So he comes in and all of a sudden he just comes into that first inning. He strikes out the first two batters and then he saws off Goldschmidt's bat. Uh, he had a fastball touching 97 and the place just erupted. It was so much fun. Yeah, I would have loved to have been there. I caught the game on Fox and had my phone in my back pocket and listened on the app at the same time. So it was a good, it was a good time. You could almost feel that energy. And again, I thought, as I mentioned earlier, just to be able to perform like that with all those things, it wasn't just his first big league game. It was his first big league game at Wrigley Field against the Cardinals under the lights and on Fox. And he was able to meet that challenge. So that is really, really exciting for the future. 
Now, you know, he gets to the fourth inning, and that's really the only real trouble that he had. He he lost his control a little bit. He leadoff walked to Edmund. He got Gorman to fly out. Goldschmidt singles. Arenado walks. Wild pitch. Edmund scores. Uh, and then Brendan Donovan, who tortured the Cubs all weekend. You know, he's going to be one of those future Cub killers, but he doubled the score two runs. But what I liked about it was he comes back in the fifth inning, and he's able to give uh, David Ross one more inning. He gave up a single, but that was it. But, you know, he didn't fall apart, which I, you know, showed some composure in my mind. Absolutely right. Okay, so the Cubs went on to lose that game. So now we're heading into Sunday Night Baseball on the four-letter network under the lights, of course, and the series is tied 2-2. So now you get greedy as a fan. Like I had said, okay, two wins, I'll be happy. Crawley, you predicted three, wanted three, and it looked like you had every chance. But uh, the game did not go the Cubs' way in the end. Talk about how you saw that one unfold. Well, you know, let's go with the good news first. Justin Steele, you know, I, he had a rough outing last time, and I think he bounced back really well. Again, seven innings. He gave up seven hits, two runs only, though, one earned. Uh, three three walks and one K. But that, I thought, was a really, really good start for Justin Steele. So I was happy about that. Um, what bothered me the most about this game, this was, this was a close game. Um, and, uh, you know, two, two through eight innings, you know, going into the eighth inning, it was a two, two game, but the Cubs, you know, let's just be honest. The Cardinals have a, a better team, a stronger team. And so you just can't make the little mistakes. And, and, and these, I hate to keep harping on it, but there was a couple of plays in the bottom of the first, you know, when you have a, a, a guy, a, an experienced pitcher, right? Uh, like Adam, like Wainwright on the mound. And all of a sudden in the first, he's struggling. You got to take advantage of that. So Morel grounds out. Wilson walks, half doubles. Schwindel flies out, so Contreras scores. But with two outs, Nico hits, uh, you know, when you, when you sit there, you have half at third, uh, half gets thrown out at third. You can't make the final out at, at get, getting thrown out at third. You just can't do that. Yeah, that's little league stuff, right? Everybody knows that. You can't, you can't make that out at that point. Nope. Right. So Schwindel flies out with, with after Hap's double. So Contreras scores easily, but, but Hap's trying to make it to third and he just gets gunned down. There's one there. Um, you know, Nico has looked great. I thought he looked great all series. Uh, but, but, you know, once again, Edmund Goldman, Schmidt, Arenado, those guys continued, but I wanted your opinion on this one, Dustin, top of the fifth inning, right? You got two outs and then Edmund and Goldschmidt hit back-to-back singles. Okay. Next hitter is Arenado and you can, and you got two outs. The person that's going to follow Arenado is Albert Pujols. And I tweeted it out at the time at Crawley's Cubs. I tweeted, I'm like, Oh man, I don't know if I want to, face Arenado. I think I'd rather face Pujols, which if you'd have told me that 10 years ago, I would have thought crazy, but the guy needs a walker to get to home, to get to the batter's box. And sure enough, you know, Arenado singles to tie the game and Pujols grounds out games tied at two. I don't know. What were you thinking on that? Yeah, one? I, I I'm with you hundred percent. I'd have given him the four fingers and I'd have let him walk down to first base. Absolutely not what I have pitched to in that situation. Nope. And, and, no, no problem. No. And, and if, and if, if Pujols would have, Bitten him, I'd have tipped my cap. But like you said, he doesn't run very well. So if he puts the ball on the ground, you get yourself out of the inning, and he ended up grounding out. Right. And then you get to the bottom of the six. Uh, Wisdom hits a ground rule double with one out. Ortega singles. 
but then uh, he gets waved home and he's thrown out at home by Brandon Donovan, who made a great throw, but it's like you had one guy thrown out at third. Now you have another guy who's thrown out at the plate. Can't have Let's get into that thrown out at the plate. Two, two things there that, that really bothered me in the moment. First of all, I mean, Patrick Wisdom, while he is a really good athlete and a really good guy, I don't know that he's going to score from second to home on a ball hit not really that deep into right field. And they don't usually talk about this. And maybe you saw something in, in, on social media or somewhere else. But, I mean, was he sent? Did he not listen? Did he run through a stop? Because if he was waved home, that was a really bad coaching decision. It, that's way too aggressive at this point, in my opinion. And that was a great throw. It's a great catch. And, and Molina was in the perfect spot. And then, not that it mattered, but why in the world would you try to appeal that? There was nothing wrong there. <laughs> didn't block. What, what if you what if you actually needed the appeal? It's yeah, just I, before, I mean, I don't. I mean, was he trying? Was Ross trying to slow the game down at that point? There was nothing to be gained there except to be laughed at. I mean, Molina was sitting there like rolling his eyes, like really, I was blocking the plate. Not, not even close. I mean, not even a little bit. I don't know why they did that at all. I, I I think it's just a wing and a prayer, to be honest with you. I wish I could tell you, but but again, Yachty's eye roll says it all, and I will usually not agree with Yachty Molina on anything. No. I rolled my eyes on that one too. Yeah. <laughs> so he makes he makes the out. He makes the out at home. Yeah, you get to the bottom of the eighth. You get back to back doubles by Wisdom and PJ Higgins, who's really you know done a great job with the opportunities he has. The Cubs are leading Dustin three to two after eight. And I am, like I said, I'm ready to tweet out and talk about how I said three wins. I didn't pull the flag out just yet, but I was so super excited. And then in the top of the ninth, the most, you know, Cardinal inning ever Harrison Bader with his flowing locks triples. And then Molina's up, which scared the crap out of me, but nope, he little fly out, no big deal. But then the guy who I, I swear is just named after a candy bar, Lars Newtbar, singles to tie it up, go into extras. You can have a lot of fun with that guy's name, but we'll we'll leave that for later uh, on. You know, my biggest issue there, Crowley, was Wick. Why is Wick in at that point? I mean, I get it. Like, Robertson can't throw every day, but you kind of misused him earlier in the series when you brought him in, in a three, three tie, like the fans just so wanted to beat the Cardinals and you have them on the ropes and we're recording this on Monday and they have today off and then they're going to Baltimore. Okay. Have Wick save the game in Baltimore. If they're in a position to save the game, like it's Cubs Cardinals, it's Sunday night baseball. You can win the series. Give me the real closer, not Wick. I got to tell you, I agree. It was frustrating. And, you know, just like the White Sox, you were right there into the ninth, about to close it out, and you can't seal the deal. And, and that's what's so frustrating. And then, you know, Rossi gets a little bit lucky because he puts Daniel Norris out in the top of the 10th to face the heart of the order. We're talking about Paul Goldschmidt, uh, Nolan Arenado, and this Gorman kid who's one of their top prospects that's supposed to be the next big thing. And unbelievable that he gets Goldschmidt out looking Arenado to fly out and Gorman to strike out. And I'm like, Oh my God, you, and I don't know if you saw this play Gorman, a young kid 
the strikeout happens, the ball gets away from uh, Wilson and he's able, he didn't run out of the box and Wilson was able to get it and beat the kid by like a step. If that kid was running out of the box after the called third strike or after the swinging third strike, uh, you know, that, that might've, uh, he would have reached, it would have changed things. So that was absolutely, that would have, a run would have scored the game would have, uh, they would have had the lead uh, going into the top of the 10th, but they didn't. And you had Contreras. This is where you get frustrated again. Contreras is at second to start it off. You got your courtesy runner, whatever. Well, he, made the la- he made the last out, right? So he's supposed to last be out. out. Yep. So he's on second. Hap grounds out to advance him to third. Okay. So Wilson's at third with one out. Todd Fra- or, uh, Frazier strikes out swinging. Wisdom walks and Higgins grounds out. So, you know, when you have a runner at third and one out and you can't get it in, at that point, I'm like, okay, this is done. And then let's go further with what you're saying. Now he has Daniel Norris pitching a sec. You got away with it one time in the 10th. You weren't going to get away with it two times. That wasn't going right. to Well, I think at that point, I almost feel like he conceded. Like, oh my gosh, we got through the 10th. We Let's get it here. Let's get the last wraps. Let's walk this thing off. Everybody will forget about every everything else. And it just it just didn't happen. So they, they listen, they lose the game. They lose the series, but there was a, there was there was more good Crowley, I think, than bad in this one. So I, I'm okay with it. I, I never thought I'd be okay losing two out of winning only two out of five against the Cardinals. But considering where the Cardinals are at and where the Cubs are at, I, I can actually stomach this one. Yeah, like I said, the, the the seeing four young pitchers that should be a big part of your future, whether it's in the rotation or in the bullpen. Uh, Christopher Morell extended his streak to 20 games. On base, uh, that's tying Rocco Bardelli, if you remember that name, from Tampa Bay back in the days when they were still the Devil Rays. So there was a lot to be happy about, just the the end result didn't work out. So, you know, uh, we'll see what happens, but hopefully this young pitching continues to develop and uh, and we go from there. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, Roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You're listening to the Fly the W podcast. This is season one, episode number four, and we are fortunate right now to be joined by P.J. Mooney from The Athletic, and we started out this conversation reflecting on the Cubs dropping the series to the Cardinals two games to three. Yeah, no need to overthink it. Like The Cubs have some uh, nice pieces. They have uh, some competitive elements, I think, you can speak to this better from a fan's perspective, but it's like the effort level and engagement levels, I feel like have been there. It's just, they don't have that dominating starting pitcher to just like set the tone for a series and kind of preserve the bullpen. There's been lots of 
injuries, not that that's an excuse, but it feels like the Cubs are kind of just like trying to figure out things on the fly and then like deal with tomorrow, tomorrow. And then it's a lineup that after Morrell and Contreras and certainly wisdom, he'll run into some home runs, no doubt, but there's not like that guy that's coming through with like the big hit that can turn a game in the late innings. And I think that's why this uh, Cardinals series summed up a lot of the things we've seen uh, about the Cubs this season. And obviously these are issues that have been building for uh, a couple of seasons now. Uh, the reason I asked you to come on, Patrick, besides being one of my favorite writers, uh, you had two pieces drop recently. You had one of them that was about Caleb Killing and the Cubs' early returns. And then just today on Monday, you had this great article about Wilson Contreras. And to me, I, I was at the game Saturday. I bought tickets waiting. I waited Saturday because I'm like, okay, Killian's coming up. This is what I'm waiting for. So I got tickets right away. And uh, he didn't disappoint. What did you think about that? A very credible, impressive debut under the circumstances. Um, really lines up with what the Cubs have said internally. I mean, this is their most viable starting pitching prospect in, what, 10-plus years? I mean, I think you probably go back to Jeff Samarja, and he was even kind of broken in as, as a reliever in the major leagues. And so I think with these two off days this week, uh Wade Miley probably coming off the injured list sooner rather than later uh the Cubs optioned Killian back to Iowa with a couple things to work on but we all know the trade trade deadlines looming there will be more injuries there just always are and that he is someone who I think the next time he comes back won't be going back to Des Moines that they need to see what they have in him for next year and I think if he does if he's as good as they say uh he will have a nice second half and be penciled into the 2023 opening day rotation and you know i think there's a lot of symbolism there to fans like yourself who are wondering like what's the plan what's going on how long is this going to take and this is a as far as trade deadline deals go this is like as close to an immediate return as you can really get unless you're trading for a guy off a major league roster so in your article and and I went back and I looked at all the transactions that happened in July of 2021 and between July 15th and July 30th, uh, we in the Cub fan community refer to July 30th as blue Friday, that massacre that just happened in a period of about 24 hours. There were eight trades that took place and you know, a lot of people were angry. I mean, like when you think about the guys that they traded, your Javi Baez, your Chris Bryant's, your Anthony Rizzo's, you know, those guys that were, the heart and soul of that world series team. I mean, we talked about, okay, they're probably going to trade two, but keep one. And then the argument was, which one do you keep? But that's not what they did. They got rid of all of them. Were you surprised as well that all three ended up not coming back? As free agents? Yeah. I thought there was a very slim possibility that uh maybe Baez could come back just because they had presented him a very strong offer uh and they were working on that and progressing towards the deal right before the onset of the pandemic in March 2020 
I think how the Cubs operate and we can spin it forward, like with Wilson Contreras, what's going to happen to him? Like he's gone unless something totally unforeseen or unexpected happens. Um, and they're probably going to try to like spin this and keep maintain a good enough to relationship to where they could talk. And I mean, they did reach out to Kyle Schwarber last off season. I mean, that was something like, obviously they didn't uh, overwhelm him uh, or, you know, make him an offer he couldn't refuse. But I think if you look at how this front office operates, it's largely of like wanting to stay in the mix, wanting to keep their options open wanting to make offers that make sense on their terms. That's usually not a good way to win in free agency. That's not going to blow players away, but you know, Rizzo was one. I didn't see him coming back. I just thought that the offer they had made, which in retrospect was not an unfair uh, presentation uh, considering he had already been extended before. And the fact that he was a couple years older and didn't play that premium shortstop position or or catcher i just didn't see where he would be coming back like that was i think kind of a bridge too far uh you know sure the cubs would have loved chris bryant on like a one or two year deal but he was all about long-term security and getting that uh no trade protection uh the cubs did not seriously engage with javi uh as a free agent i think that was kind of looking at where they were kind of in their cycle and I think Jed has repeatedly shown he's really wary of those long-term deals. Like it's not necessarily the dollars, it's the years. And then Schwarber uh, going to the Phillies collection of uh, designated hitters and the Cubs uh, signing Suzuki uh, instead. Well, I took a look at the eight trades and it starts on July 15th. You get Peterson going to the Braves for Bryce Ball and Bryce Ball's had a pretty good bounce back here uh, this season. July 26th, they trade uh, Andrew Chafin, the sheriff, uh, who became a quick fan favorite. Funny story. When I saw him in spring training, I said, hey, you look like the shooter. You look like Rod Beck. And he says to me, who? And (laughs) and that's when I realized I'm so much older than these guys. But Chafin goes to the A's for first baseman Greg Diekman and uh, right-hand pitcher Daniel Palencia. Then you get into the 29th. You get Rizzo going to New York for Alexander Vizcaino and Kevin Alcantara. You get to Para going to the White Sox for left-handed pitcher Bailey Horn. Then you get into the 30th. Chris Bryant's traded to San Francisco for Alexander Canario and uh, right-handed pitcher Caleb Killian, who we saw this weekend. And then you had Javi Baez and Trevor Williams and some cash going to the Mets for Pete Crow Armstrong. Jake Marisnik goes to the Padres for Anderson Espinosa, who we saw. I don't think we saw him this weekend, uh, you know, for the doubleheader. Uh, and then um, the 30th, you had Craig Kimbrell for Nick Magical and Cody Hewer. So – like, like you said, you know, I'm a fan. Just as an objective reporter, you don't know how this is all going to pan out. But from those eight trades, how would you say, you know, it's hard to say right now, but it, it seems like if the goal was to restock a farm system that had been depleted as they tried to kind of keep going for it with the same core, it did seem like, and if you throw in the U Darvish system, that they really did replenish that uh, the farm. Yeah, I think all the grades are incomplete, obviously, when you're dealing with uh, prospects at the lower levels of the minors. And also, we haven't seen how they're going to reinvest that savings in the major league product. So, like, you know, praising the Cubs for all these great deals, I think, is is too much, particularly when the big league product has been underfunded and we're not really sure how they're going to redeploy 
those resources. Uh, I will say that even people who are kind of skeptical of the Cubs have said they have legitimate group of prospects and you don't know which ones are exactly going to pop, but Pete Crow Armstrong, I think is one who has a pretty high level of probability to reach the majors and play gold glove caliber uh, center field. And we'll see uh, how his offensive game will evolve. Obviously he's shown no signs of rust getting that promotion from Myrtle beach to South bend. I mean, he's a team USA guy, uh, kid who grew up in Southern California, just playing against elite competition all the time. Um, so he should be performing pretty well, you know, at, at this point, like he's had a lot of high level uh, exposure. Uh, Alcantara, my colleague Sadev Sharma has done a lot of homework on him. I think he's that interesting guy who maybe he's a bust, but like physically he's a freak. I mean, a six, six guy who can play center field, um, and supposedly has a really nice um, personality and makeup in the clubhouse. Uh, I think you've seen the Yankees, what they've done historically with some uh, really high level athletes and getting them up to Yankee Stadium, whether it's you know, kind of relievers or a guy like Aaron Judge, that there's certainly a lot to work with there. And this will be on some level a referendum on the changes the Cubs have made in uh player development and then some of those other deals you're looking at kind of you know maybe there's a reliever or two who helps you down the road and I think the Kimbrel trade is just a weird one because it did not work out for the White Sox Cody Hoyer's recovering from Tommy John surgery and you know Nick Madrigal uh, has been a kind of a disappointment so far I mean he hasn't done what the Cubs hoped he was injured he's coming off he was injured he's coming off a real substantial injury as well. So it's kind of too early to tell with him, but it's just weird how that Kimbrel deal on both sides, no one is like pounding the <laughs> table saying we won that deal. It just hasn't. So he's out uh, in LA, you know, enjoying life with the Dodgers, I'm assuming, but uh, it has not worked out how Rick Hahn or Jed Hoyer had envisioned. Yeah. Not exactly a bad place to be a closer if you're a uh, right. Kimbrel, but yeah. uh you know, you mentioned a little bit about saying to the team, okay, you made the trades, but now what are you doing with this money that you've obviously saved? You know, you're not in the top five of payroll anymore. And I think that's where I looked at today's article with a little bit of frustration. And and you talked about the offer that they made Rizzo. And sometimes it's not just about the numbers of the on the back of the baseball card. Sometimes you have done a lot for an organization and, and, and you hope that that gets rewarded. And it's hard to believe Wilson Contreras has been with this organization for 14 years. Okay. And when you talk about the money, uh, you know, that they saved and, and, and it didn't, you know, they didn't go crazy spending in the off season. I don't understand and, and, and try to help me. I don't know if you can, but arbitration is a messy process. It's never a good process to do that. Especially, you know, and it usually it happens before the season starts, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So this is happening in, in the middle of the season and the Cubs are offering nine and Wilson asked for 10.25. You're talking about a couple of games worth of cup snakes here. Why on God's green earth would they be arguing over 1.25? Like, why not give the guy just 2 million? Just say, here's 11 million. Nobody gets that belt anymore for keeping arbitration numbers low. Right? Well, I will say since you asked, I will try to explain in broad strokes, not to, uh, 
excuse or rationalize, but to try to lay out the landscape of one. Wilson has taken a pretty mature approach to this, saying, "Look, it was a really weird off season. There just wasn't enough time to hash this out. I understand it's a business. I'm in a good place." Yada yada yada. From the Cubs' perspective, they are leaning on Major League Baseball's essentially in-house labor relations department that uh, from an industry perspective, they see all of these things connected and the Players Association as well, that any gain for Wilson is something that future catchers or other players can build off of. So it's not like a total vacuum, even though I totally understand what you're saying of like, why can't they just mean middle air? You have seen other teams do that. Uh, the Cubs are saying our policy is a file and trial, uh, meaning that once it's submitted, they're going forward, no further negotiations. Other teams have bent on that. They did not come to agreements uh, during spring training and have found common ground uh, later. I think this is a process that you know fans are pro- probably don't understand are probably bored by. They don't get it. I think the larger thing with Wilson is those intangibles you talk about. I think they're real. Christopher Morell thinks they're real. I just don't think the Cubs place a huge premium on that at this moment so that we can talk all about how great these other things are. I just don't think that's a very compelling argument. Now what Wilson does have a compelling argument is go good luck finding another catcher who can do what I do. Like guy who hit with a 900 OPS, the designated hitter, perhaps robot umps minimizing what has been a relative weakness in his game. Like he's a really valuable player and a dynamic athlete and an impact hitter. And those guys are hard to find much less guys that you know really well who can bring those other things. So that's why I think – I don't think the Cubs are going to re-sign him as a free agent, but I don't think they've ruled that out, and I don't think it's in Wilson's best interest to say there's no way I'm coming back here. And maybe there is, like, that really, really, really small possibility that he could come back. It just – historically, that's usually uh, not how it works. Right. You got – you're competing against however many teams that are going to be looking for a catcher. And like you said, with the DH now – you have another spot that you can play him. And, and you saw how the wear and tear of the position affected his uh, hitting last year. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, I, I really like when I read your article about Chris Morrell, you know, if you tell the listeners a little bit, just how much Wilson means to a guy like Christopher Morrell. Uh, everything that was kind of his response and you can pick up on it. There was this great um, clip during the marquee broadcast uh, last week of Morell is at the plate um, clutch situation uh, runner on third one out and he fouls off two pitches and Wilson can see it and he whistles uh, to draw his attention and kind of just says like inhales deeply and exhales deeply and just says a reminder to breathe and you know he uh, did his job Morell lifted a sacrifice fly uh, got the on-field celebration, got the uh, you know Gatorade bath or the water bath during the interview, and <clears throat> excuse me, that's valuable and and that's stuff that you can see. Morell is not a product of Wilson's 
mentorship or anything like that. I mean, he's a really confident guy with uh, really interesting skill set, but um, it's noticeable how comfortable he was. And it's, um, I think, very genuine the way he talks about Wilson's um, leadership, um, the fact that he's a resource there for him. Like, that's not a fake thing. There are times I feel like certain leadership stories are kind of overblown or, you know, we put too much emphasis on clubhouse chemistry, but that one to me felt real. That's why I wrote about it. And that's why Chris has um, been so effusive in thanking Wilson for his guidance at this moment. And what people don't realize, I think sometimes is that, especially for the Latino players that come here, you know, it's not like your mom or dad can just pop into Wrigley and visit, you know, and just catch a quick plane flight or something like that. You know, uh, you know, a lot of these families may not have the financial means. It's difficult sometimes, especially if you're like, say, Wilson from Venezuela to even come here. And so to have somebody, these are, you know, when you talk about morale, like 19, 20, 21, and you have no family, you have nothing. A guy like Wilson and what he brings and, and, and the mentorship. And I think back of, you know, Pedro Strope was that guy for a lot of Latino players. And then before that, I remember Alfonso Soriano. It does make a difference. Making Miguel Montero. Miggy, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And so the, the way that these guys, you know, relate and, and help these younger players, like I said, that's why sometimes I think the, the intangibles, yeah, they can be overblown. But, you know, you, talk to Chris Morrell, talk to some of these players and what a guy like Wilson means to them. And that's. Like I said, it was, I'm, I, what are you building around? What are you building on? And I think as a fan, sometimes it's like, yay, exciting. We got a lot of really good young talent, but at the same time, who's going to be the one that, that, that kind of is there to be that connection to the next great Cubs team? What's well, these next four months are all about. I mean, that's the prism through which to view every game and every player and every deal and that, um, it's seeing what they have on the pitching side. It's seeing what Nico Horner can do. Does Nick Madrigal bounce back and play his way into being your assumed starting second baseman next year? Um, I think from, from my seat, I think you've seen enough of Patrick Wisdom that he's an interesting, useful player with enormous power who plays good defense and strikes out a ton. Like you can, work with that as long as he's not like your number three hitter to the guy that you're you know, betting everything on. I mean, the guy's not even in the arbitration system yet. Like you can work with that. Um, if you can incorporate Caleb Killian into your rotation, we'll see what happens with Stroman and Hendricks. Like I don't see how you get anywhere close to good value for Kyle Hendricks at this moment. And I think trading Stroman, it's like, going too far back to the drawing board like next like how many pitchers are you gonna have to sign and that's like not a good place to be when other teams and agents know you're really desperate for starters and then the justin Steeles, the keegan thompsons like keep letting them uh giving them some runway to show you what they got and so uh, at this point i think it's say suzuki uh in terms of next year's open day lineup and then like maybe morell i mean we're kind of catching the morell wave here like there's going to be an adjustment period he's going to come back to earth but i think there's certainly a lot to like about his game and his personality and the different ways in which he can contribute i mean to play 
center field, shortstop, second base, third base hit leadoff. I mean, like those guys are hard to find and they knew he had those dynamic talents. It was just kind of a matter of getting the repetitions and learning how to kind of control his emotions and kind of uh, refine his game. And he's certainly run with this opportunity. Um, but yeah, I mean, you are left with a ton of work to do this offseason. Like there's like no way around, like even if you hit on, all of your best case scenarios for the next four months, it's hard to see them not having to do multiple Suzuki Stroman type deals just to get it, just to raise the competitive floor for next season. I got one last question for you here, Patrick. I appreciate your time. Um, the question, you know, and you talked about Morel. man, he made the most of his opportunity. I mean, 20 game yeah. on base streak. You know, there's going to be decisions that have to be made, and 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 the the the, the elephant in the room is, is Jason Hayward and his contract. And when you have a guy like Clint Frazier, and you're wondering, could this possibly be a piece? You know, that's a blue chip prospect that we got from the Yankees. It didn't work out there. You know, how much longer do you think we go with the, with this Jason Hayward exper- uh, Jason Hayward contract? I mean, you're paying him either way, but I mean, he's taking away bats from say younger guys that you may want to take a look at. Yeah, I mean that's an awkward situation. Uh, it's certainly coming. Uh, my sense, it's not like an imminent thing. They've done so much maneuvering around the 40 man roster that, uh, I don't see them, uh, DFAing Hayward anytime soon. I guess I could be wrong. I just don't have a strong sense like that's like a front burner thing they know that issue is there and they're going to have to deal with it eventually i'm just guessing here but i'd imagine that they'd like to just kind of kick the can down the road until after the trade deadline and then i mean you're going to need like bodies to play and we've seen how many injuries have happened um this 40-man roster crunch is probably going to disappear when they trade like six or seven guys on major league deals before august 2nd I do think things have a way of sorting themselves out. It's not like the Cubs are going all out to qualify for a playoff spot this year. And I do think, you know, with Frazier, I think they've kind of modified their expectations or at least, you know, in spring training, he was this big story. And before he unfortunately had that appendectomy, I mean, he wasn't playing a lot then. I mean, they were kind of looking at him as more of a, matchup guy and I think eventually he will probably get some pretty good runway here that if they make deals if guys get hurt uh Brennan Davis unfortunately is not knocking on the door after undergoing back surgery um again just kind of, I mean you've watched the game a long time you know like things always happen and things have a way of kind of sorting themselves out and I think it would be the Cubs hope to just kind of defer that Hayward decision for as long as possible. That's not, you know, the most uh, forward thinking strategy or a bold strategy, but I think it's just kind of where they're at right now in June of 2022. All right, Patrick, for the listeners, uh, where would they find your work if they wanted to continue reading your good stuff? I appreciate it. I'd check out uh, my stuff at the athletic. We got a ton of uh, Cubs coverage, MLB coverage, really kind of every sport, uh, teams all across the world, including uh, English Premier League, college football, uh, you name it. We have a pretty strong uh, 
presence. So thank you for the shout out. No problem. And they can find you on Twitter at PJ Mooney. PJ underscore Mooney. I almost had it. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Patrick, thanks for coming out. Appreciate your time. And uh, thanks again. No problem, buddy. Take care. Great conversation we just had with PJ. We thank him for his time. Make sure you check him out on The Athletic. They do great, really in-depth work. Crawley, nice job with that interview. Again, you're listening to the Fly the W podcast. This is season one, episode number four. So, Crawley, we just wrapped up the Cardinal series. The Cubs got a much-needed and deserved day off on Monday, and now they are heading east, and they are taking on the Orioles out in Baltimore. Yeah, and a lot's going to be happening this series, and and the roster is something that we've been watching with every, every episode because, you know, it's been kind of bizarre. You've had injuries, you know, one guy comes up, one guy goes down, it seems like they've really been bitten by the injury bug. Unfortunately, the Cubs' top prospect, number one prospect, we found out this weekend, Brennan Davis, had back surgery. He hadn't played since May 3rd, but he had what's called a vascular formation on his lower back that was pushing on a nerve, causing pain in his legs. So he may lose the rest of the season, which, again, we also earlier lost Ed Howard in South Bend. Brennan was close. He was Iowa. They expected him to come up after uh, the trade deadline, and that doesn't look like it's going to happen anymore. But uh, we do have some uh, pitching coming back, and uh, Alex Mills is expected to travel with the team to Baltimore. So he is eligible to be activated on June 8th. He's had a lower back, and he had a quadricep issue when he was recovering. But, you know, in, in, in some of these games, especially these double headers, Alec Mills is a guy that, remember when Keegan Thompson, before he was a starter, he was a guy that would piggyback if somebody had a bad start like a Marcus Stroman the other day. He was a guy that could come in right away and take three, four, five innings. You know, you have Alec Mills back. I don't know if he's going to be a starter or not, but he is definitely someone that can take that swing role. Well, let's talk about that. So we've got Alec Mills is about to be back. We've also got Wade Miley, who's not probably – too far back. And, and kind of the, the buzzkill, at least for me, was Caleb Killian, who we talked about earlier in the podcast. Sunday midday, I think, mid-afternoon, first person I saw tweeted out was Bruce Levine, sent back to the minors. Um, I was originally really disappointed, and I had a knee-jerk, and jerk is the key word, reaction to it, but I stayed off of social media, and I thought I'd save it for the podcast or for the air come Monday morning. And what I realize it's probably the right move because you're still potentially trying to trade Miley and Smiley and you've got Keegan Thompson and you've got Marcus Stroman and you've got Kyle Hendricks. So when would Killian get the starts? I was curious of your reaction when you saw Killian get set down. Yeah, no doubt that this was a one and done deal. And and as the, the key right here is the future and very similar to what happened uh, back in the original Theo rebuild of 2012, 2013, 2014. You, what you're trying to do is take these guys, the Miley's and the Smiley's of the world and flip them and hopefully bring back some good prospects. And then once you take a look at the trade deadline, which first week of August that's when you're going to see what you want to see, Dustin. That's where you're going to see Swarmer being able to make starts, Killian be able to make starts, because somebody's going to have to take those starts when those guys are traded. We, we know that for a fact. you know. It, it, and that's why you really want Wade Miley to do 
really well. That's why you want Drew Smiley to perform really well. The better those guys do, the better return you're going to get for them. So as much fun as it was to have the Swarmer Killian doubleheader, those guys will be fine in AAA. They still do have development. They're really good, but they do have to work on some things, breaking ball pitches, et cetera. And then and, and they will get that development down there and they'll be fine. And, and we will see them soon enough. We need Wade Miley to come in and look like he did that very first start. Uh, it was the second start. I think he had off injury where he just looked dominant and had a really quick game. And, and we get that. And that, then you're in good shape there. Right. The, the Miley and Smiley connection is going to uh, help us, the Cubs get back to the promised land. And I guess that's also why, Okay, I get it. That's why we didn't see David Robertson on Sunday night because they want to keep this guy healthy. And if they, I mean, he could be a guy that you could really get a chip back for the future of this team. So he's another guy that um, you keep the guy healthy, you keep him in, you keep him coming out when you should. Don't overuse him. But that's where the the fan in you and then the intelligent baseball person sometimes those two sides but heads, and you're not sure. Another guy we've been talking about a lot in this podcast so far, Crawley, and somebody we spent a lot of time talking about on the Mully and Haw Show is everybody's favorite right fielder. And eventually, Seiya Suzuki is going to come back. He's getting he's getting closer and closer and closer. And, and when he does, he will be your everyday right fielder. Correct. That absolutely correct. And so, but what does that mean for Hayward? Like you're not gonna you're not gonna put Hayward in center and have Morel go play somewhere else, are you? You can't, you cannot do that. And as I said earlier, right now, if you are going to decide to keep Hayward and I don't have any, you know, if you heard the interview with Patrick Mooney, he doesn't think that uh, Hayward's going anywhere for a little while. Well then let him be a defensive replacement. You're going into the eighth inning. You got a three, two lead in comes Jason Hayward that I want to see maybe one or two innings of Jason Hayward, at most, you know, and I'm sure they'll give him one start a week, you know, but no. And, and, and the other person, so say is going to be coming with the team uh, traveling to Baltimore and he's working on full baseball activities, not hundred percent just yet. Jonathan VR is expected to be activated. If you remember, he goes down in Cubs lore with another classic Cubs injury where he was working out with a weight band and it hit him and he had to have dental work on kind of, kind of goes with the, you know, the guy that got injured putting his pants on and, and Sammy Snosa, Sammy Sosa sneezing, but uh, you know, yeah, I thought it wasn't somebody bit by a spider or something. There was, <laughs> there was one of those, but I mean, I thought that Villar thing, I had to like double check, like the guy who tweeted that out the first time I had to double check to make sure there was a blue check mark because it just seemed like no way, like what really? And you, that had to have been unbelievably violent to knock him out and he had to have like dental surgery. Yeah. Yeah. That was, it was a big deal. So that's the question is that those two guys come back, somebody, uh, you know, whether, you, you know, how can you, we've talked about Chris Morrell that if you, you send him down, you're going to have riots, pitchforks and torches at 1060 West Addison. So, you know, somebody, I don't know who's going to stay, who's going to go, but you know, I don't know if you have enough room when you bring Suzuki and VR, somebody, somebody's got to go. And I don't know if it's Nick Magical who has options and you could send him back to Iowa and kind of, you know, he's, he, he missed a lot of baseball and it's really hard to kind of get back into the rhythm at the major league level. Or, or if you just tell Jonathan VR, thank you for your services or Andrelton Simmons, who doesn't do much for me. I'm sorry. 
Right. He he doesn't do much for me, but I think Nick Madrigal is worth spending a couple minutes here, if you don't mind, Crowley. Now, the one thing about Madrigal was supposed to be that this guy, you know, he the, he does not miss the ball. He he is a contact, contact, contact kind of guy. And he has just not been good. His defense was actually pretty good over the weekend, but his at bats in I just think, yeah, he could use some time down in the minors to get some of that confidence back. Let's start there. And then, and then I'd also like to talk about the, the shortstop who I really think is probably the future at second base. Yeah. You know, with, with magical, you, you have a guy that, you know, he flew through the system pretty quick and that happens sometimes is that guys get through there pretty quick, but he had a bad injury and he missed a lot of time and he just may not be ready to face major league pitching. And the question you always have is the issue of options. So if, if you have options, you, you could go, you could get sent back down to the minor league and the Cubs don't have to worry about anyone else picking them up and signing them. If you're out of options, then other teams have an opportunity to sign them to your roster. So you don't lose anything. If Nick magical goes to the minors, you don't lose them as a player or anything like that. So that's, that's definitely a possibility. And, and, you know, as far as um, talking about Nico, whether he's your everyday shortstop, it looks like they've committed to that now. Um, you know, there was a report, I want to say it was Bob Nightingale, who said the Cubs are really in this shortstop class coming up, interested in some guys that are coming out. So, you know, whether Nico becomes one of those super utility guys or whether he takes over at second base, or whether, you know, we don't know, but, but there are options that you have. It's just a decision has to be made one way or another. Yeah. Nico has fantastic range. I, I love his attitude. He works really hard. He seems like a really good baseball player, smart baseball player, but I got to be honest, like watching him over the weekend, it looks like he is using every ounce of physical ability he has to get that ball over to first base. And I just don't know that he has the arm to do that. And I hate to see him break down. I think the guy could be a gold glove caliber second baseman, which means he can probably be about an average shortstop. But I don't think that that's the the shortstop the next time the Cubs uh, win the National League. I would, I would agree with you on that. I, I, I like him at second base and, and he has impressed me with the work that he's done at shortstop. But like you said, he is giving everything he has complete plays that Javi Baez has made look simple, require every ounce of energy that Nico has, but I have been super impressed as well with how Nico has been hitting the ball. I did not expect him to be driving the ball as well as he is. He put a lot of muscle on over, uh, over the last season and, and he just looks super impressive. So he, he definitely is someone to build around uh, just maybe not shortstop. Right. One real quick thing before we wrap up uh, season one, episode four, something I'm really looking forward to. And it's probably one of the first things we'll talk about when you hear us on season one, episode five, that's Wednesday, Marcus Stroman's start against the Orioles. Like I think this, I, I'm really curious to see where he is mentally after that performance and if he can really step up and deliver because if he has another really bad outing I'm going to be really disappointed that he's not engaged because the team really isn't going anywhere this year well like you said uh 
it's going to be Strowman making the start against Jordan Lyles. And uh, Strowman's ERA was heading south of three until that game. Now it's above five. So it did affect him. And so obviously the Orioles aren't a great team. And I'm just looking at the numbers right now of the Baltimore batters versus Strowman. Uh, you know, Trey Mancini hits 368 in 19 appearances. And that's really it as far as any kind of big sample size. So, you know, they're not the greatest team and you don't have anybody like, uh, like we talked about in the last season, like Dickerson and, and uh, Goldschmidt who hit him really well. So this should be an opportunity to bounce back. Yep, absolutely. So next time we're here, we'll be breaking down Stroman. We'll be breaking down the two games against the Orioles. And then the Cubs go to New York and take on one of the best teams, if not the best team in baseball in the New York Yankees. So we want to thank you guys for listening to season one, episode four. That was young Cubs pitching shining versus the Cardinals. And we'll be right back here in a few days with episode five. Thanks a and lot. That, Austin Rhodes. And this is Crawley hoping we have more chances to fly the W.